Welcome to another episode of High Output AI, where Elliot and Tom discuss all the tools and techniques that make AI happen. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 38 of High Output AI. I hope you are all well today, especially if your name is Lewis. Um, <laughs> how are you today, mate? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I uh, went for a bit of a long run this morning and it's about middle of the day now, so just, yeah, kicking along. What about you? Oh, you bastard. Mine's, uh, I've got to do my long run this afternoon. I'm, I'm in that like denial period where I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I always feel 10 times better after doing it but I can never bring myself to want to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. I'm just going to close my eyes, pretend that in four hours or how long, five hours time, I'm I'm just going to be soaking in that feeling of superiority to <laughs> 80% of the population because I ran longer than them today. <laughs> yeah, which is why we do it, you know. Yeah. Just to be I, smug. Yeah, exactly. I, I, to talk about it on this podcast, even though I haven't done it yet. Yeah. And let's move on. <laughs> So, what are we talking about today? We are talking about all things open source. Now, this came off the back of our conversation last week on foundation models. It's kind of a a natural follow-on from that. And we originally started discussing this because we wanted to do something on hugging face, really. Uh, And what is hugging face as a company, an institution, and who they are. And we... We were wondering how do we spend a whole episode talking about Hugging Face, but then we realized that open source itself is a very, very worthy topic for us to dive into this week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with you know, Hugging Face obviously being one of the major players here, but there's so much stuff going on. And, mm. you know, I'm a big fan of open source in general. Um, for those less familiar perhaps outside the world of software development open source is this idea that the source material in traditional software sense that's the code that's underneath the software is open and available to whoever wants to use it now in a lot of cases i'd say almost all cases that also means it's free but there are oftentimes exceptions on what can be done with that code. So there's different licenses in the open source world. Some are very restrictive, some are very permissive, and depending on the project and and who's making it, it makes sense to land in one of those camps. We won't get into licensing too much here, but open source in general means you can see the code. You can run it on your own machine, hardware permitting, and you can make modifications to it, sometimes contributing back to the original code base or you you can make a copy of it, release it under its own name and say, hey, this was based on this open source project and I've modified it or built on top of it in some way. There's probably a couple of questions that I have for you for distinguishing open source software versus open source AI. One important thing that I think you'll agree with as well is it's not only that the code is available, but the all-important weights are available in AI as well. I think that's true if you're releasing a model and you are really priding yourself on the results of that model. So let's say Whisper, for example, it's quite a popular open source uh, speech-to-text model released by OpenAI. They release the weights. Now, there are exceptions to that. 
you know, TensorFlow, PyTorch, two great open source projects in the AI space, but they are libraries. They're not models, so there's no weights involved. You may also release, say, and this was more common back in the day, but an architecture, let's say a unit or a implementation of YOLO, um, which is one of the object detection models. And if the premise in that case is, look, we don't have a large, broadly trained version of this, but it's very quick to train this on your own data uh, and your own examples. In those cases, it's often okay not to release the weights because you're really open sourcing the architecture as opposed to the model, um, which is you know a fine line to tread. But I think these days, if we're talking big models and models that aren't feasible for somebody to retrain on their own. I think weights are a really important part of that. And in some cases, even the underlying training data. So there's been um, the other the other reason why we want to talk about this this week as well is there's been a, a lot of calls recently for people to open things up or close things off depending on the importance of the AI. Open AI has been in the news both for just developing GPT-4 and also for not releasing access to it as well and Sam Altman's been in uh, the position of it's not ready to it's not ready the world isn't ready for something so powerful and there is varying degrees of openness in different areas on all of these projects so this isn't a strict definition of open source versus not some things are just generally more open than others as you said sometimes like if you had to pay for something it might not be considered truly open source etc but with AI, there's a number of different factors, right? There's the frameworks that we talked about, so the PyTorches of the world and um, and, and the uh, the PyTorches of the world. But then as well, if we get into the model landscape as well, we've already talked about the code, we've talked about the weights as well, and those are important in releasing them. But as well, there's access to the data. Um, and so those are kind of, and what we'll do today is we'll jump through some examples of what is open source in what we, what are some of the more open sourced projects in the AI space as well. But if we if we think back to a couple of the like major open source projects outside of the AI space and into the software world, um, we can think of Linux being like probably the most famous of them, and then as well Python as well being a very uh, famous example of a framework that's open source as well. What the qu the question that I have for you Elliot is what of these aspects what do you think are the applicable ones to apply to the definition of open source for AI and which are less applicable yeah so I think making code available and making these systems runnable on again hardware permitting somebody's local machine is pretty important um, that usually means shipping with the weights I can see scenarios where shipping with the weights for legal reasons or competitive reasons might not happen. Um, I think realistically, though, if you're training on, say, like a billion images and you say to people, hey, we're going to release the model but not the data, train it yourself, it'll only take 40,000 GPU years. You're not really acting in the spirit of open source. Um, you're, I think, just sort of, I don't know, using open source as a bit of a almost a virtue signal for what you want to do. I think you should, to a certain extent, you want to be able to hand these things over and just say, look, it's open. It's there for you to do with as you will. You know, I'm even sometimes a little hesitant about these models where 
yeah, you can access the weights, but only if you sign this disclaimer about how you're going to use it. Mm. Um, because, I don't know, it's, it's just a funny definition of open. It's like open until we decide it's closed. Um, as opposed to the, you know, the original feeling or, or definition of open source being this is out there. It's, it's free as in freedom. Uh, and you, know, you can get it, you can do with it what you want. I may not provide any warranty or I may say, hey, you can't make a commercial fortune out of this. This has to be for the good of humanity. And I think we can dive into this a little later in the show, but this whole argument of these tools are too dangerous to be out in the open, I think in my mind the best path to humanity as a collective coming up with reasonable ways to deal with AI in everyday life because it's coming to everyday life is to make them open and allow the community to build and experiment and develop alongside these tools. Whereas if they're behind closed doors, I really think that's going to be a much, much harder thing to do and you're reliant on open AI, for example, to hold the keys to the collective kingdom of how these you know, really exciting new technologies should be used. I, uh, I'm going to have the really boring opinion that there's risks and opportunities associated with both keeping it completely closed or keeping it completely open, right? Like the risk, the risk with the current situation with open AI is that a lot of power is held in a very small set of hands. Um, and although Sam Altman seems like a good human being, um, <laughs> total power corrupts absolute, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So, um, yeah, and uh, yeah. Anyway, let's not get too much into a philosophical debate here. But um, yeah, uh, I thought I thought what might be useful as well as we kind of explore this definition of open source because I think we're we've probably harped on enough about and the viewer and the listeners now know what we mean by open source in this space. But it's probably good to jump through some examples from a few of the major players as well. Um, and I've been I, I came up with this question this week that I wanted to ask you: Would you generally, in the space of uh, we'll we'll, st- we'll stick in models and we'll stick in major models. Would you say on a whole that the world that AI is more closed than open at the moment? Hmm. I think as it as it relates to the mindshare of people, as in if you ask somebody what the large language models are, assuming they know that term, it's GPT four, Chat GPT. Yeah. Now there are other ones, you know, and Stability launched Stable LM just this last couple of weeks as an open source project. But the mindshare is currently on closed source projects. Mm. Similarly for image generation, so mid-journey DALI. Uh, again, stable diffusion is the exception here. Um, I would say in terms of number of projects, there'll be hundreds or thousands of alternatives to these major yep. players. But if you were to tally up the amount of you know, words generated by large language models every day, it would overwhelmingly be weighted towards closed source models at this point in time. Mm. Mm. And we will, there's a, and so as we jump through some of these, some of these uh, major players as well, we'll see that they kind of hold both. They do, they do have some open source nature to them in different models and different areas, but they are closed in other areas. And I think there's a, a piece that you want to bring up as well a little bit on how um, as soon as it's valuable, it's time to close it. But uh, So if we look at Google, for example, right, mm. predominantly I would say that they are closed um, with all of their major models. 
uh, Palm probably being Palm and Bard being like the major ones there. With um, but they do have a few open source things as I went through. Um, I went through and they've probably focused more on the open sourcing of frameworks rather than specific models. Um, but I did come across a few models. One of them was Adanet, um, and then as well DeepMind Lab, and then Model Search. With Model Search being the ML platform that seems pretty cool. I'd never heard of it before this, but it's basically an ML platform that suggests what architecture you should use based off uh, your data set and what you require. Um, but with uh, with Google in mind, um, is there any is there anything that you've seen come out of uh, Google that I haven't mentioned here that's uh, that's been a that I'm doing a disservice in saying there hasn't been open source for it yet? Um, model wise, none that come to mind. I like I need to go back and check what has yeah. and hasn't made it through to open source. I think the the obvious big open source project out of Google in this space is uh, TensorFlow. Which and now Jax, which is a, a Google project, at least originally. I, both of those, I think, have matured to the point where then they were born in Google, but they're they're now living on in their own way. Um, I think another interesting one that's come out there is the hardware space and some of the tooling around that. Um, how open that is is very much up for debate. Um, but some of the TPUs, the tensor processing unit stuff and, and the libraries around running on those is definitely out in the open with the obvious incentive that the more they use that, the more you get tied into their hardware. Mm, yeah. Who, do you know who develops, the, like who physically manufactures their, their TPUs? I'm not sure. I'm not sure who they contract that to. Yeah, anyway, anyway, we'll... Uh We'll come back to that when we do our GPU slash TPU episode. Um, now, moving on to the other big hitter in the space, OpenAI. Obviously, they <laughs> the name and the, it says it in the name. Uh, yes. They do have some openness to them, and they were much more open when they were a research foundation back in the 2015-16s when they were founded. Uh, but a couple of their models are Whisper, Jukebox, Clip, and Pointy. Um, uh, anything else that they've uh, that they've done in the open source space that comes to mind for you? Um, a lot of tooling in the early days. So there's the OpenAI Gym, which is a bunch of reinforcement learning simulated workspaces that you could use to build your uh, reinforcement learning agents on top of. Um, Model-wise, again, need to look up. You know, Whisper is obviously open source. Part of me wonders whether Whisper 2, whatever new version of that, will also be open source or not. I, my gut says no, just with the way that OpenAI is moving at the moment. Um, but time will tell. Yeah. Yeah, so um, moving on to Meta as well. So it seems to me as well from the surface, Meta's probably been the best with models, I'll say, out of the three that we've mentioned so far. So Llama is pseudo open. Um, you can apply for access. Seems to be very like, if you're a university, we'll give you access to it. Uh, they got DeepMask. They got SharpMask. They got Segment Anything, which we talked about last week. And they also got one, which is a sixty-eight, a sixty-six billion parameter language model called OPT that I hadn't heard about until coming across this. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Llama is probably related to it in some way, and I might be double repeating there. But I would say on a whole that. My, my rough feel is that Meta has been more open with their models than um, uh, older older OpenAI and Google. Yeah, I would say that's true. I think they have less to lose by open sourcing these yeah. um, because they have fairly established product lines which will benefit from these models but aren't contingent on it. 
I mean, Google, if they open source the models but make it easier to run on Google, that's a win for them. OpenAI, I think, is the most at risk by open sourcing models because if you take all their models, run them on AWS and build your own stuff, where does OpenAI get paid in that transaction? Yep. Yeah, that's very fair. Um, and obviously with Meta as well, we didn't mention uh, uh, PyTorch as well, which came yeah. out of Meta, right? Yeah, yeah, it did originally. And again, you know, with any of these large ones, they sort of take on a life of their own eventually. I think, I can't remember if they made the PyTorch Foundation or joined the Apache Foundation or, or something, but it's basically self-governed now, PyTorch yeah. and the tooling around it. Yeah. And so these are kind of like the the three like we haven't we haven't covered like the other big tech players like AWS and Microsoft internally as well. But those are kind of like the three big players. Um, on the side of on the other side of things as well, we've got stable uh, stability, which is mm. so far open sourcing a lot of things. With Stable Diffusion being their like headline product and also their headline open source product. Yeah, there was um, a series of tweets from Imad the. CEO at Stability from just about a week ago, uh, which were talk were, the tweets were about open source AI, um, and their position on it all, and where they see um, the way that they're setting up the company. And I thought it was an interesting one in that, you know, to summarize a whole bunch of tweets, his opinion was that the best path forward for them is to open source all the models, the very generic general versions of those models and make that available for anyone to do anything and then work with enterprise customers to develop extremely specific models for enterprise use cases and charge those enterprise customers through the nose for it, which I think yeah. is actually a great way to do this. Yeah, I've just um I remember reading from the tweets of something that like stuck with me from it as well, which is he said like the total addressable market for open models on private data is way larger than private models on open data. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. Um Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that resonated with me as well because I think um OpenAI's advantage doesn't come from its language model performance. It's good, don't get me wrong, and it's probably the best, but I it's come from the fact that it's being used and it has distribution behind it now. That feels like what OpenAI's advantage is now. Obviously, they were the first out and they and they managed to take advantage of that being the first out and the best that was first out. But I think the rest of the world has probably caught up pretty quickly to their, to them in the language model space. Yeah. And as we touched on last week around foundation models, these level two models which are very industry-specific and potentially even company-specific. So, you know, if you imagine, I don't know, the, the court system in the US, yeah. like taking out all sort of legal transcription that's ever existed, or even a large law firm. There's probably law firms large enough that this makes sense. All of their internal notes and putting that through a language model, they're not just going to hand that over to OpenAI to improve the world's legal AI models. Yeah. They want their own model in-house that gives them a competitive advantage yeah. and i think partnering with stability to do that makes a lot more sense than let's just feed this into chat gpt or gpt4 or yeah. some giant variant of that and use that it just doesn't make competitive sense to me mm. 
Um, and then so across the other players as well. So like there's there's hugging face as well, which is kind of like <laughs> yeah. what started all this. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you, uh, if you don't mind, give a little intro on Hugging Face for, for everyone and the yes. breakdown of the company. So Hugging Face, um, I don't know which came first, the sort of hosted models and the GitHub-like environment for AI or their Python library, which is a bunch of pre-trained models that you can download and interact with. But either way, what they are today is this hybrid of code hosting, model hosting, and community and they have done so exceptionally well i think they're such an impressive company i haven't really jumped in and used as much hugging face stuff as i would like to um for no other reason than like just haven't had the time to do it but i think they've really captured the developer mindshare way better than anyone else everything is like expected to be there they feel like Kaggle meets GitHub meets um, Facebook almost like mm. good back in the day Facebook. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like maybe Reddit instead of Facebook. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, these yeah, big sort like, of anonymous yeah. communities. Plus some form of social is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. They've released some some really interesting underlying sort of pre-trained transformer models. They've released this great, or I think they acquired this great library called Gradio, which is for building sort of quick user interfaces in front of models, um, mm. which works so well and you can spin something up so quickly. It's is that what you built the when you did the Whisper implementation? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. like the, the code I wrote to do that Whisper playing around thing, it, it was like 40 lines of code and it just worked. Like it was not a huge project. Uh, and to be able to go from, hey, I've got a model to I've got a way to interact with that model that I could send a link to my grandma and she could potentially do it. Yeah. It's just so impressive. I I think they're a fantastic company. Yeah. So very yeah, very cool. They were founded in twenty sixteen by I didn't realise this, but they were by French uh, entrepreneurs. Um mm. so there you go. And they have the goal of teaching machine learning to five million people by twenty twenty three. Which is really cool. I reckon they're close to succeeding on that one for sure. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, diving into some fundraising in this space, they've raised like $160 million mm-hmm. over, well, they're up to Series C, which was in May last year. Um, yeah. So that's pretty pretty awesome. I think there's a lot of sentiment that if you're open source, you're never going to make any money. There's a lot of sentiment that you've got to be like Red Hat um, for those that are, unfamiliar red hat was sort of big enterprise linux and you it was an open source set of tools coupled mm. with sort of enterprise level support and implementation which i just don't think is the path forward here for yeah. hugging face um but there's tons of money to be made whilst remaining open source very small company though only valued at two billion dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um for those who, who don't use hugging face they make money by um, paying to host stuff so you can host models and have access to GPUs to run things on their platform sort of how GitHub uh, has their pricing model these days who's going to buy them? that is the billion dollar question I don't know I think I mean Microsoft owns GitHub there is a yeah, yeah. potential win there um, but at the same time like Google or Amazon coming in and sweeping it and backing it with 
infrastructure, I can really see that working too. Yeah. Yeah. There might be, there's a couple of other smaller players that I was going to talk about. We'll bring them up over, but that might be a good point to talk to like, why open source? Why, why should a company do it? Other than like the good of the world that we've slightly touched on. Like why, why would you open source something? Uh, there are a lot of reasons. Um, I think historically open sourcing part of what you're doing or, or giving back to the community, especially when you're building something very developer focused is a great way to build up goodwill. Um, I think, you know, if you look at Netflix or Amazon or any of the large tech players, they'll have big open source projects that they've developed internally may have provided a huge amount of value to the company, uh, but they've made them open source. Now, you know, you wouldn't want to open source your main competitive advantage. So yeah. if that's your model architecture because you have some breakthrough replacement for transformers and you're going to take over the world with that, you probably wouldn't open source it. If you have a data set that makes your large language model perform better than any others, whether that be text data or the reinforcement learning data, you, know, you probably wouldn't open source that. Um, but you can open up pieces. One of the great reasons to do that is that the more your stuff gets used, the more that innovation feeds through and, and you know, rising tide lifting all ships kind of sentiment. Um, yeah. You know, TensorFlow being open meant that tons of people wrote code in TensorFlow and ran it on Google Cloud. Yeah. And this is this is back to your point originally why why OpenAI probably will be continue to remain less open than some of its competitors because as you and I quote Elliot Smith from three seconds ago <laughs> you don't want to open source your competitive advantage. Um, yeah, and they like open open AI is making giving access to their works through APIs and various interfaces. But that's purely to have people use their models, their their competitive advantage. They're not giving away the, the keys to the castle. Yeah, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting to see. There was some news over the last couple of weeks about OpenAI's Foundry project, which is a set of tools that they've developed to do your own sort of GPT-4 variant or chat GPT variant on your internal data. Uh, and the leaked pricing, which seems insane to me, is like 250 grand a year for GPT 3.5 or $1.5 million a year for the GPT 4 equivalent just to host, train, and adapt your own internal model, um, which yeah. that's a lot of money, really. It seems cheap for like if you were like, if Walmart was like create something for us, it seems cheap, but then for... 90% of companies, it seems very expensive. Yeah, I agree. And But I assume Walmart isn't paying $1.5 million either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and look, putting my you know, tech decision maker hat on, if I was sitting in a company and thought, all right, we're go we've got fifty years worth of legal documents that we've happened to have digitized because I mean don't even get into the process of the fact that they're probably all in <laughs> yeah, big cardboard yeah. boxes out the back. We want to build a model that's going to help us, you know, 10x our output in terms of all of the background study for case law. 
1.5 million dollars a year is probably cheap but what if next year after you've done your training OpenAI says yeah no that was introductory pricing it's 15 million dollars a year now yeah yeah what energy are you gonna prices do? have gone up so. <laughs> like yeah it's just a, a a scale of vendor lock-in that i think people have been trying on the cloud to get away from and this is another yep. really interesting thing about open source is that a lot of cloud providers will do hosted managed versions of large open source projects. So let's say MySQL or Postgres SQL. Um, and you'll pay the premium because you're like, look, I don't want to have to waste my time thinking about backups and maintenance and all of this. I'm, I'll pay for you to keep that up and running. And there's this delicate balance between using that open source project on, say, Google and knowing you could tell them to get stuffed and move to AWS and use their yeah. hosted solution or what the cloud providers are doing is they'll typically sp spin up something that's adjacent to an open source project but it's not available on other cloud providers and they'll try and get you to use that either incentivized by pricing or things around scalability or security or features mm. and then lock you into their platform and I think model lock-in around these platforms is potentially a risk um, and I'm not convinced it's going to work I think the infrastructure underneath you can make a ton of money on that um, and I think the products at the front end you can make a ton of money on that but I'm not convinced that hosted model development or model variance as a service is going to be a way to make a ton of money. Yeah. Um, I've, been, I've just been sitting here trying to think about like where have we seen such a risk of vendor lock-in previously. To some extent, I'd say like early days cloud, right? Like AWS was one of the only only providers available. They, they, they moved quick there and did well there. Um but 10 years on, the competition's pretty fierce. Um, and I, 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 can't, I can't think of something. The only other one I'm thinking of maybe is like iPhone and the iOS store. Yeah. Uh, sorry, in the Apple store. and I, I think, yeah, marketplaces, whether it be the Apple store, the Play store on Google, even Steam in the gaming community. Yeah. Definitely that sort of lock-in can happen and it can make a lot of sense. And... You know, Apple or, you know, even let's take um, some of the big game engines like Unity or Unreal Engine. Mm. They'll take a clip of sales uh, yeah. after a certain point. And that licensing model makes a lot of sense because you're using those tools to build complete products, which you're then selling in a transactional way and they can take a claim of revenue. But that feels very disconnected from what, say, OpenAI is doing where you're taking a platform layer, building another platform layer on top and then using that to build a product. I think it's too many steps disconnected from the direct transaction, especially mm. if it's an internal tool. Like if this law firm is not selling this AI but they're using it internally, you can't take a clip of the revenue because there is no revenue. It's a cost-saving exercise internally or a, a leverage exercise. Yeah. But what about for the people that do build a a product on top and there is revenue so like you know they always talk about the vertical 
chat gpt for x or you know someone who builds the law the more general law to keep the law example going someone who builds the law chat gpt on top of gpt 3.5 which we're already seeing and um one raised some money this week literally we were talking about it earlier but um yeah what what about for them are are they gonna will they will they remain vendor locked in or yeah so potentially if OpenAI gets its way i think if you were a startup building one of these tools it would make a lot of sense to start on OpenAI, but I think you'd reach a certain scale where you'd want to get off that platform because if you can cut $1.5 million a year from your bottom line by using a model that you own and no longer have to pay OpenAI a license for, that could potentially be huge. Yeah, and we're kind of conflating a few things here as well, but like what we're seeing as well to come out of these open source communities is... 50 models that are 90 to 99% as effective as the premium paid open AI versions. So there'll be a there'll be a race to the bottom on this because open AI will be competing against free and marginally better. Yeah, I think the hardest part and the most valuable moat that open AI probably has right now is the reinforcement learning that's happening on interfaces like their chat GPT. Um, because that is really, well, at, at least today, and, you know, mid-journey's the same, that seems to be what's differentiating the general models from the really top-tier mm. stuff. And that is really good proprietary data. And, and it really opens up this opportunity to say, for OpenAI to say, hey, ChatGPT, GPT-4, go for gold. We'll give you the original trained version of ChatGPT prior to us running it as a platform for free. Go do whatever the hell you want with it because we know that the 10 million conversations that have been had on ChatGPT on top of that and the modification to those weights that has occurred through that reinforcement learning is worth you paying a premium. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's... It will also like as people build on top of this more and more and more they will then start to develop this what we're essentially saying is proprietary data set right like as well where um as well with like um and that and i think we've talked about it a few times where like we don't think the advantage is going to come from some proprietary way to build a model like mm. unless unless you manage to hide that it's going to come from better access to better labeled data yeah i think so it's a weird one in the world of reinforcement learning though because i totally agree with you bigger better annotated data sets are super valuable because they can be used to train other models but if you think about you know chat gpt and the way it's getting reinforcement learning data it's generating an output spitting that out and getting a some sort of feedback you know let's just say it's thumbs up or thumbs down it's more complicated than that but we'll simplify it to that that information makes the most sense when you have the model and you're sort of incrementally sticking that on top if you take um if you use that as a new training source i don't think it would be as effective let's say you only put all of the 
the questions and responses that got a thumbs up into a new training set, I think it would not... This is pure speculation. I I don't know if anybody's done this, but I think it's worth thinking about is would that perform as well as the incremental step-by-step of getting that reinforcement learning? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and I I don't know the answer. I, I think no. But yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a quantum and also a timing to this as well. So, yeah. so we've kind of been like circling the drain here of saying the word, which is like, why would you open source? And that is to win the developer. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I mean, it's there's so many examples of tools that get used because they have a good developer experience. Yep. And yeah, there's alternatives to Git and GitHub but they've won the developer community. Yeah. Even programming languages, frameworks on top of that, it's really a developer community-driven thing. Um, people are you know, enamored by JavaScript and its weird and wacky landscape because it's open and, and developers adopted it and it reached a critical mass and people are all over it. Um, you know, On the flip side, some more tied down proprietary languages are less popular. Sure, they still get used, but I think, yeah, having the developer community behind you, um, yeah, if we look at, say, React and Vue in the front-end framework development world, React is one because it's got more of the developer share. PyTorch, TensorFlow, now Jax is a new player in this space, but we'll ignore that. Historically, PyTorch had more of the community in terms of the developer community, not the academic community, and it resulted in it being the leader in this space. Um, so it's such a powerful thing to do, is to open source this and make it available. And why would you want, and the very capitalistic view of this is why would you want to win the developer is if you can give your, if you can, uh, <laughs> if you can give, I'm trying to think of a good analogy here, but basically, it's it's if you can make money off them somewhere else. So that's it, man. If you Google and you can get people to develop in some certain way, that means that they're more likely to host with Google Cloud. Great. Or if you're, yeah. Yeah, I mean the the big example of this when when you and I were at uni, uh, so we both did engineering was like AutoCAD. They'd give away free student editions so that everyone was familiar with the shortcuts available in AutoCAD, so that when yeah. you went to work somewhere you said I, I know AutoCAD I will be five times more productive in AutoCAD than you know SuperCAD or whatever yeah. some CAD alternative might be and so the company says well shit okay let's just buy an AutoCAD license yeah yeah if you can if you're selling the shovels give away free gold something like that something about <laughs> shovels yeah, I don't know, I don't know what the analogy yeah. would be there. Yeah. So that's the very capitalistic view of why you would open source, right? But mm-hmm. there was one that I that you came across that really resonated with me, which is uh, resonated with me, which was should some of these tools be considered a public good? Yeah. And that and that made me think of an example in the energy world, right? Like a lot a lot, although we do pay for energy, the market is very, very heavy, reg- heavily regulated. No matter where you are in the world, to the point that you must provide access to everybody. It is literally illegal not to. 
um, uh, and and if companies had their way, they wouldn't they wouldn't be running cables to the farmer that lives ten thousand kilometers away from the city. They'd just be serving the city. So energy has become a public good. Do some of these models fit that fit that bill for you? I think so, and I think increasingly they will. Um, and you know, I think the important thing to differentiate here is that a public good doesn't mean free. You still pay for your power, but there is a sort of absorbed infrastructure cost like that power line out to the farmer in the middle of nowhere. So I think much like the internet has, early days access to the internet was not thought to be a public good or a human right Mm. or something that everybody should have. But these days it's bordering on if you don't have access to the internet, you are fundamentally disadvantaged as an individual. I think we're going to see the same thing with some of these AI models as they get bigger and more pervasive in everyday life. If you don't have access to them, then you're at a disadvantage. So there may well be some sort of national capacity for AI tools that we provide kids in primary school access to image generation and text generation AI so that by the time they graduate and go out and work on their own, they're familiar enough with the technology. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think education is probably one of the first places you'd see this pop in where it's education around the space, education about specific things within it. Um, yeah. It's the equivalent of like, I remember one, one of our prime ministers was like, every kid gets a laptop. Um, so yeah. everyone had access to a computer and and internet, and yeah, well, like you'll see it in curriculums, right? Like it'll be a requirement that schools have access to some form of large language model that students can use to help craft and edit essays with, or whatever it is, as you said. Yeah, and I think the other part of that is demystifying this technology for kids, especially. Um, there was I, we may have touched on this last episode, but Cal Newport did an expert explanation of how large language models worked aimed at a non-technical person in one of his recent podcast episodes and I think that sort of education is really important to make sure that people don't feel bewildered and bamboozled by open AI and all its future competitors trying to push these products onto people people need to understand how they work what the limitations of them are and get a real realistic skeptical view of this technology so that they're not out there saying you know oh if you don't use this tool you're screwed how could you possibly compete in a world where chat gpt exists and say well yeah pretty easily if you know how it works and what its limitations are it's handy much the same as spell check is handy but we still teach kids how to spell words Mm. yeah and then there's the final reason why you do open AI, and it's just because uh, open source AI, and it's just because this is the space where open source actually works. Like yeah. building as a community actually seems to work in software. We've seen fantastic things come out of this across the world, and we're starting to see it with Hugging Face as well, where it's we're just going to give you some models, we're going to give you some pre-trained stuff, we're going to give you access to the library, and we're going to see what wonderful stuff's going to be coming out of that. I'm excited to like see in five years' time, like what we're using every day that came from like the early days of hugging face in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
a couple of points on this before we jump into some other stuff. I think there's two things that I think about a lot in terms of open source and AI in particular. One is this idea of how do we build the community or the moral and ethical frameworks around the use of these tools? And I don't think that can be done without open source. I think the community and society as a whole learns how to deal with these technologies best when they're available and we can run and probably fail a bunch of experiments on how to use them in a very rapid way. I think while we're still, look, LLMs are impressive. Image generation is impressive. 10, maybe even five years from now, we are going to look back on what we've got today and laugh at how primitive it was the same way that you look back at the original Pokemon games on the Game Boy and you think, holy shit, I thought this was the most amazing technology in the whole world and the graphics on this look like a dog's breakfast now. So I think open sourcing it now is so critical so that we can say, ah, shit, you remember that time that somebody submitted a whole bunch of New York Times articles that were chat GPT generated and then the New York Times, you know, fell in a bunch of hot water or you remember that time somebody got a AI generated image into a one of those nature photography photo competitions and it won. It's like we we can very rapidly make these small limited scope mistakes and develop a framework for how we deal with this stuff early as opposed to you know, working on these giant, potentially world-changing tools in secret, few people, you know, make these huge high leverage decisions about them and something tragic happens like Stability accidentally builds a legal AI system with a large language model for a large law firm and they accidentally arrest anybody that's ever worn a blue T-shirt because there was some limitation in the training set and we hadn't really thought about how to ethically deal with this stuff or morally deal with this stuff yet. But what is your response to the, oh, hang on, we can't just we can't just give these tools to anybody? There's no, there's bad people out there that could do bad things with this. What's your what's your response to that? Like, obviously, if if the like the limited scope stuff is kind of funny, of like you know we're in the nature, but like the bad stuff, the bad stuff that everyone seems to talk about, but no one's ever come up with a good example yeah. other than yeah. for me. I mean, I, I heard a a good example of of how to think about this, which is like first person danger versus third person danger, in that. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, but there's bad stuff, but can't necessarily point to a concrete example. It's just this idea that it's new and it's scary and maybe it could happen and that could do a lot of damage. But I think if you really try and narrow down into some examples, let's say generating hate speech or fake images of people doing things that they didn't do, all of that has existing legal frameworks in place to deal with the consequences of that generating spam has never been a problem of content quality or content volume i don't think having access to chat gpt makes it any more likely that you're going to send a spam email to somebody and you know take all their money um and yeah there's dangers with any of this stuff for sure but I think keeping it behind closed doors and keeping it, I mean, keeping it behind an API, a paid API, 
is not a reduction in danger. It's just putting a price tag on who gets to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And in the history of the world, it's very rarely really poor people that do the most damage. So I don't know if it's a real protection against a lot of this stuff. Um, but, you know, that's a fair segue into the other point that I think is so important is if we have open source, especially, you know, let's say you and I sat down and we generated a model and made it open source and continued to maintain it, but we're not open AI. We've got day jobs, we've got other stuff. It's a project of passion. How do we get paid? How do we get compensated for our time? How does it become something that doesn't destroy us as individuals but underpin so much of technology going forward? There's this great XKCD comic which is you know, talking about the modern tech stack and it's all these little programs stacked on top of each other and then there's this one tiny little linchpin holding the whole thing up and it's like an open source project started in 1983 by one guy who hasn't got the time left to maintain it. And yeah. I think, I mean, it's so true. And I think if we're going to open source this, we're going to have to think how to make sure that we're supporting the people that are giving their time away for free. Now, it's easy if you're open AI or stability because you get paid a bit of your time to do this open source stuff and a bit of your time to do the proprietary stuff. But real open source growth happens when lots and lots of people contribute and we're still not in a good place to compensate those people properly for their time. Um, and so, like, if we if we switch forward to, like, looking forward, which what, what kind of forces do you see moving the world more more towards open or like what what's supporting an open source movement and uh and what's what's working against it at the moment so i think if open ai reports massive profits it's going to be a lot harder to convince people to go open source because we'll say well that's the way you make money and yeah you know, i'm sure you're going to come up against this in, in your world as an investor eventually is that if a lot of these companies that are closed source make a ton of money and a company, two companies come across your desk, one that wants to open source part of their secret source and one that doesn't, who's more likely to get the investment? Yeah, of course, yeah. So that'll be one driving force. I think if a few key models and stability might be the unlock on this, become open source and the community of developers says screw you APIs we're going to build our own stuff and yeah there's hosted versions of it and people pay for that and that's fine but LLMs are built on stable LM and image generation or segmentation is built on top of segment anything model because they're open source and we don't trust you closed source community to do the right thing it's I think whichever one of those two headwinds wins is going to be the determiner yeah. of what happens. I don't think there's going to be a 100% in one camp, 0% the other. Um, but, yeah. yeah. I, I see it as like the more, mo- the, the, like the more money made from not the models, everything around the models, the more like, the more, the more open source things are going to be. So, if, players like Google and Amazon stay involved and are able to make money in a different way, whether that's through expanding, making search even more 
extensive for Google so they can sell more ads or AWS, which is if they can convince more people to host their models on AWS, we're going to see more and and basically less and less value in the individual model um, for these big companies, then we're going to move more open source. But if the... uh, if we move, uh, and the other thing as well, working in this favor as well is if it's less about the model and more about the data set as well. So as we already said, like open open models, private data, that will also be that will also push the world towards open source. But on the flip side, if it comes about if it come if it comes about like owning a hundred percent share via if it's if it's a if it's a own a hundred percent share game. We're, we're going to see we're going to see very closed closed companies here as well. Um, I was, yeah, th- like things that are going to make it like push them towards closed is like anything that's proprietary, right? Like anything that like we that would would give someone an advantage if they had that, and so that could be on the data or the architecture side. I also think as well, like there just might be like some models might be so high cost to produce that no one ever wants to go do it and so the only way is like it's like it's like running the postal service right like you almost need a government to step in and like you still got to pay for it um in some way but like it's not the only way some like the only way it's going to be it's such a high cost to do that you're just going to have to pay for it to be done and there's only and it's only going to be enough route there's only going to be enough room in the market for one person in that space um i think there's going to be like a lot of things that are like internal that we won't see open sourced as well especially like these big companies like google and stuff like you know there's so much ai work running in the background that we don't know about in google i'm sure um and those models are giving them a proprietary internal advantage and they're probably not going to open source them because they would release other secrets about the company um and there's probably going to be like not too much open source in like the defense or the medical in the mm. medical space as well. Um, so I think those are the things that are going to like. And as you said, this is going to be smattering. There's going to be some things that are super open source. Like there's a good chance that LLMs, because it seems that you know they're running out of data to train on. LLMs could become, if not completely like. And obviously as well, there's going to be different players in this thing. Some are going to be open source, like Android versus App Store kind of thing. So yeah. It's not going to be open source future or closed future. There's going to be smattering, but if we push more towards open, uh, we need less of those forces I just mentioned. I totally agree. I think an interesting dynamic that will come out of this, especially you know, with chat GPT, then GPT-4, and then some of Sam Altman's recent comments that they're sort of seeing a slowdown in progress and yeah. and we may need a large architecture shift to get another order of magnitude jump in quality. Will competition sprout up fast enough to drive prices of things like OpenAI and their text APIs into the ground, in which case it's basically a commodity and then we'll see a lot more open source because it's mm. a commoditized product? Yeah. Or will we get whatever the future of Transformers is, come out, OpenAI has a competitive advantage on hardware and data sets and can keep leapfrogging the current best practice to stay competitive in the market. Yeah. I think that'll be a big determiner there, um, as you mentioned, around sort of like proprietary architecture and data. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting as well. Like just the, just like as these companies get so much scale, is that just going to 
be the are they already at the size that the snowball just keeps rolling down the mountain gathering mm. more snow um yeah so maybe we're getting into like the kind of like last the tail end of this um we we haven't really talked about the cost of doing ai yet uh doing sorry doing open source projects as well and i think just the really really big one that we should touch on is it's friggin' hard to get an open source project up and running yeah especially if you need 4000 gpus for 100 yep. days um you, you know you can release a weird little javascript library that you know capitalizes all the text in your strings and people might go gangbusters on that and use it but yeah building an ai training refining gathering the data and getting this up yeah. and out there yes yeah, it is really hard there's a huge barrier to that um and that's probably why we're seeing a lot of the really headline stuff come out of nvidia and google and meta and everywhere else because they have the resources and i would say that because of this reason it's actually up to the universities and the research institutes to like be more open source to make up for this because you're you're less likely to have the 14 year old playing around on a dodgy internet connection in a country that is in the united states of america create something wonderful and game-changing because of the like the cost of play in this space so i think it's more and more on research to be more open to make up for it uh to make up for this yeah definitely and i you know i think jumping back to transformers for a second whatever the alternative to transformers is going to be and there will be one there'll be some new architecture yeah. that, that just blows transformers out of the water it might end up being that only when you re it only outperforms when you reach the scale of gpt4 mm. and at that point it's massively better but on a data set and a model size that you could reasonably train on your own even latest generation gpu yeah it's negligibly better and nobody's going to notice um, so yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This probably comes back to that sort of sovereign capacity type argument is that, yeah. you know, should compute be something that we have access to as citizens of a country, you know, could that become a competitive advantage, the ability yeah. to write code and run it on a large supercomputer somewhere hosted by the country? Yeah. Yeah, you go, you go, you go. Book some in from your local library. Um, yeah. yeah, like if you'd said, if you'd said, like, fiber is a competitive advantage for your country in 1980s, people would have laughed at you, right? <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, they would. Um, but yeah, look at where we are now, and yeah. yeah, it's it's still weird to imagine. I think, you know, the government setting up library type scenarios with fucking tons of gpus that you could lease out and use as a public yeah. good but it's not that crazy no. i mean i think if you did it and you found a way to give equitable access to people yeah the potential of something amazing coming out of that is just huge even if it only ran when there's enough sunshine to cover the power costs via some solar or something like that you know you could still unlock stuff that yeah, you're just otherwise really limiting who has the ability to play in this space. Yeah. So, mate, I think we'll I think we'll start to put a pin in it. But if you mm. had to give advice to a younger 
more energetic Elliot that was starting out in this space. Uh, yeah, look. What that's would you? What would you? What would you be directing? I think something that I slept on for a long time was just hugging face, and it, the ability to like use their platform and use the libraries there to throw together really amazing stuff. I've seen some great work where you know, you'll take a pre-trained clip model, make a couple of small variations, feed it into a latent space diffusion model. And you'll get something similar to stable diffusion, but you can pick the color of the dog in the image or whatever else by dropping from a select box and all this sort of cool stuff. I was very much in this camp of read the papers, implement it yourself from scratch, learn how every little piece worked. And look, to a certain extent, that's useful stuff. But the amount of open source tools and larger scale pre-packaged, pre-trained models is just awesome. Um, so definitely get up there and start building this stuff, uh, using those and, and taking advantage of what the rest of the open source community has put together. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd, I I would say as well, if you're on the um, side of fence for me, the non-tech, like me, the non-technical and you're interested, you can, you can, you can make a little bit of impact with your wallet here as well. Like the Apache Foundation is a not-for-profit that you can donate to. Uh, and then I believe Mozilla has started, the Mozilla Foundation has also started an AI project as well, and they are also something you could donate to as well. So mm -hmm. if you if you wanted to uh, continue remaining a, uh, a Luddite like myself <laughs> and not get on Hugging Face, there's, uh, there's ways to do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, there's tons of cool projects. The other thing is jump on GitHub, find some cool projects and find a way to pay the people supporting them. There are, yeah. there are a few options. They're not all that used these days, but, uh, yeah. you know, a little bit of time there helps in a big way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, we'll be, uh, if you, if you have something that you want some sponsorship from, come join our discord. There's a little self promotion tab in there that we'd be very happy for you to post in yeah 100 percent. and as always thank you for listening i hope this conversation was interesting we certainly had a lot of fun having it and until next time friends this has been high output ai and we are very glad to have you here bye bye everyone Thanks for listening to another episode. If you're liking this content, make sure you subscribe and like so we keep on going. And if you have any questions, make sure you hit us up on Twitter, join our Discord, or leave them in the comments below. Thanks again. It's a